0: Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. We'll get to the recording of this Sunday's message in just a moment. But first, I want to ask, are you a listener who does not attend in person on Sundays, but who would be interested in meeting with other St. Paul's listeners in your area for a small group? Right now, we have a couple people connected to St. Paul's who live in the New Haven shoreline area who would like to start an in-person small group you know, to meet for fellowship and discussion of the previous week's message. And so if you happen to be from the New Haven shoreline area and you would be interested in that, please email me to let me know. Ryan at Paulswired.org. That's stpaulswired.org. And if you're not in that area, but you're in another area and you'd be interested in meeting with other listeners there, Email me to let me know what area you're from, and maybe we can put something together. In fact, even if you're not interested in a small group, but you're just a regular listener who doesn't attend in person, we'd love to hear from you just to know that you're out there because uh, we don't really know how many people listen to this. So if you're willing, would love to hear from you. And as always, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1030 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. org. we
1: good to go? Are we good back there? Am I, am I coming through? Okay. Alright. <laughs> well hey, it is good to see you all this morning. Good morning on this holiday weekend, I'm glad to see so many of you. Um, it's, uh, it's really good to be here. We, uh, we are in the, the throes of summer with our ministry at UConn, uh, which is certainly on a little lower scale than normal, you know, with, uh, with not as many students around. But one thing that we've come to learn is that a lot of athletes that we work with are around over the summer, and as the ministry grows, which it's grown like crazy, uh, more and more of those athletes are are around. So we've been um, fortunate to see quite a few participate in our summer uh, Athletes in Action uh, meeting, which is something we don't normally do because most of the time students aren't around. So it's been real exciting. Uh, In our ministry, over 27 years here at UConn and many more back at Syracuse, where we were first located, My wife, Diane, and I have had the opportunity to share the gospel with a lot of people. We share the gospel with a lot of people in a lot of different contexts, uh, one-on-one conversation uh, where we have appointments set up. Sometimes those conversations are a little more random in nature. Uh, We share the gospel in the context of small group. We share the gospel in the context of our large group meeting. Uh, We share the gospel when we travel overseas and do do missions. We've had the opportunity to share the gospel a lot with a lot of different people over the years. And it makes sense, right? I mean, what is the gospel, after all? The gospel is simply the good news of Jesus. And so we have an opportunity to share it a lot, and we try to take advantage. We know, we know why the gospel is important for people who aren't Christians. Romans 1:16 says this for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What the Apostle Paul here is saying is that is that the way that people come into relationship with God is through their faith in Christ. And the only way that a person can do that is if they know about Jesus and if they understand what it means to place one's faith in him. That's the gospel. The gospel is that great news that we get the opportunity to share. And the gospel has the power to take a person from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, uh, to a place of eternal life and relationship with God. It's an amazing thing, the gospel. But the question I want to address this morning is why is it important for Christians to hear the gospel? Why does the gospel matter for those of us who have already believed in it and who have already placed our faith in Christ? It's a really good question. The gospel in the New Testament is explained in a number of different ways throughout the new testament i want to give you a few examples just from the epistles of paul in romans 10 verses 9 and 10 paul says this he says if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved
0: in ephesians 2 8 and 9 paul
1: says this this was the passage that was used to help me understand the gospel for by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not your own doing. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Right? We are saved. We are rescued from sin by our faith or trust in Jesus. And this whole thing is a work of God's grace in our lives, not a result of works. So we can't get to heaven and go, see, God, look at all these amazing things that I've done. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 15, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and it appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the 12. <clears throat> I like that Paul even says here now, I'm reminding you of this gospel because he's he's shared it with them many many times before when he was planting the church in the city of Corinth. So now he's writing the letter to these believers and he's saying, "Hey, I just want to remind you of this gospel that you've already heard from me." <clears throat> and in each of these cases, these letters, these epistles are written to believers to the church, you can tell when you read the openings of these letters, he says, Paul, an apostle, to the church at, or to the saints of. So this isn't written, these aren't written to a non-believing audience. These are written to believers. So why would Paul want to constantly remind Christians of the gospel? They're already saved. Why would he want to remind them? Okay, well, I think in each of these three passages, he does it for a slightly different reason. And this gives us some clues that, that the gospel matters to us as Christians for a lot of different reasons. But here are some that Paul highlights. In Romans 10, after he shares the little gospel nugget, he says, uh, he talks about how important it is that, that people believe and call on the name of the Lord. But he says, how can they call on the name of the Lord unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone tells them? How can they, how can they hear? And if, so if someone tells them, if they, how can someone tell them unless they're sent, just like the song that we sang a few minutes ago, right? So it's a call to uh, evangelistic action. It's a call to the, the church in Rome to be active in sharing their faith, right? To be instruments of the gospel in somebody else's life. That's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. We're reminded of the gospel because people out there need the gospel and we are the ones called to share it. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he talks about <clears throat> the gospel, and then that leads into a section later on in Ephesians 2, where he talks about how, <clears throat> how because God has reconciled us to himself through his son, through the gospel, he has also reconciled different people groups together. He uses Jews and Gentiles as the, as the example, but he says ethnically, racially, you know, people are divided. Culturally, people are divided but the gospel has brought us together and so we have become one people the people of God in 1st Corinthians 15 he talks about he reminds them of the gospel and then he goes in to talk about how the resurrection is this incredible transformation that we're going to experience so it's this great look at heaven and what life is going to be like and and how these bodies will eventually be done away with thank the Lord and we'll have We'll have better bodies, where maybe we don't have to go to the gym. I'm really hoping that's the case. Um, <clears throat> maybe we can just sit and eat great things all day long and never gain a pound. Won't that be, won't that be nice? Um, so, so there's lots of different reasons why it's really good for us as Christians to hear the gospel. But I want to focus on one text in particular, and it's, it's one reason why Christians really need to be uh, reminded of the gospel over and over and over again. So if you wouldn't mind, please turn with me to the book of Galatians. It's Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. We're going to start in chapter 1. <clears throat> and I want to make three observations from this letter that help us understand this a little bit better. So go to chapter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 6. <clears throat> okay. So here's the first idea. that Paul, Paul gives us the reminder that there is just one true gospel. There's just one true gospel. There are other quote unquote gospels, but there is only one true gospel. All others are twisted or distorted or false gospels. So Galatians 1, 6 through 9, Paul says this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be... What's the word you see there? Can anyone shout it out? Let him be what? Accursed. Accursed. That's a really strong word. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. I mean, this is, biblically, this is really, really strong language. Paul's emphatic here that there's just one true gospel message. Any deviation from it whatsoever represents a false gospel. And he even goes so far as to say that anyone preaching the false gospel should be accursed. Literally, I'm going to swear here, I'm going to cuss, literally in in the New Testament Greek, the word means damned. So let, let them be damned is the idea. That's, re- like, that's really strong language, all right? Really strong language. He is not okay with deviations from the true gospel. <clears throat> As we read in the beginning, <clears throat> the true gospel is this. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and we put, when we put our trust or faith in Christ, we are saved. That is, we have eternal life. We have a relationship with God. We become part of God's family. And all of this, all of this is a gift from God. It's a work of grace and not something that we can earn by living a good life, having the right philosophy, or by being religious. Does that make sense? Okay, that's it, though. That's the gospel. Now, at this point, I need to pause. And the reason I need to pause is because some of you might be thinking, hey, hang on a second. Um, we have these four books at the start of the New Testament called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what are they called? The four what? Gospels. Wait a minute. And those, isn't the gospel the whole story of Jesus' life? Right? And, and those four gospels talk mainly about his three and a half years of ministry that lead ultimately to his death and resurrection. And in two of the gospels, it even goes back to his birth. Right? It doesn't really talk a whole lot about his childhood, but we know he lived a childhood. Right? <coughs> So aren't those the gospel? Well, I'll just, I'll just put it this way. In in a broad sense, yes. Any anything about Jesus is good news, right? It's gospel-ish, right? But the essential gospel, <clears throat> what it takes to be saved, is much 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 less than that, right? In Acts 16, when the when the, when Paul and Silas are in prison, and in in the city of Philippi, and uh, an earthquake happens, and the jailer is astounded by the whole sequence of events and he says what must I do to be saved they don't say well let's talk about Mary and her being pregnant with with the God child what does Paul say he says believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved so it's not to say that those all the stuff in the Gospels isn't true it is it's just those don't represent the core Elements of the gospel that are required for a person to be saved. Okay, that's what we're talking about here <clears throat> And Paul reminds us of that in 1st Corinthians and in fact what's interesting is that scholars believe that what Paul uh, Wrote to them in 1st Corinthians 15 1 through 6 is or really 3 through 6 is is a, is the first church creed so I think Here do we recite the um, the Apostles Creed? Yeah, so the Apostles Creed was written in I'm thinking in the Three to four hundred something like that and and uh, the Nicene Creed was in 325 and creeds are just simply ways to to formulate our beliefs Okay, but this represents the very first church Creed. It's like when we boil down the core, the core Necessary things to believe this is what it is and it's this this short core gospel So that's what we're talking about here when I say there's only one true gospel, okay? so Point number one, there's only one true gospel. Point number two is this, it's so easy. It's so easy, even as a Christian, to believe a false gospel even after we've been saved. It's so easy that even the apostle Peter, who was the pillar of the early church, the the leader of the early church, fell victim to this at one point and Paul had to correct him. So let me draw your attention to Galatians two. We're gonna read 11 through 14. So if you flip just a little bit later. There's this big dispute that's going on, and here's what Paul says. He says, when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. I'll explain this in a second. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, Barnabas was the guy who helped Paul when he first got converted, that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So what was really going on was uh, there was this group of people uh, called the Judaizers who would follow Paul around And as Paul preached the gospel of grace, they would would say, oh, you need to become Jewish first. I'll explain this a little bit more in a second. And so that was the dispute that was going on. Did, Did Gentile believers have to become Jewish first in order to truly follow Jesus? But here's the thing. I can think of a bunch of different gospels that I've heard in my 35 years as a Christian. Each of them includes some... I'm just going to say some pet theological points of the people promoting those gospels. And Keith, I'm going I'm to risk something here. Can I risk something here? Well, the, the audience says yes, so we'll do it. But I actually want you to buckle up, because I'm going to share some of these false gospels that I've heard over the years. The reason why it's a risk is because it's entirely possible that one of these is going to hit home with somebody here. Right? But I figure Paul wrote a whole letter dealing with this, so I should be okay. All right, So, maybe I won't be okay. Maybe this will be the last time I come here. But hey, way to go out with a bang, right? So let's do it. Okay, So some have claimed, and, and maybe you've met some folks like this, who have claimed that the full gospel includes the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. That without them, the gospel is not complete. Okay? That's not part of the gospel. As Paul outlines it. Numerous times in the New Testament. Some have claimed that the so-called prosperity gospel is real. That is that faith comes with the promise of full healing, full material blessing, that if you don't get that you're missing the gospel. Some have argued that the gospel necessarily comes with a belief in a 6,000 year old earth, because if you can't believe that Genesis 1 was literal six days, how can you possibly believe Jesus rose from the dead? Believe it or not, that's not part of the gospel either. Some hold to, the, to what I'll call a faith and gospel. Faith and something else. Faith and works. Faith and right theology. Uh, faith and personal purity. Faith and joining this or that particular church or denomination. Faith and social justice. And some hold to the faith so gospel, faith so that something else, faith so I am happy, faith so I'm able to be fulfilled, faith so I can do what I want. And these are all examples of distorted or false gospels. And in some cases, though not necessarily, uh, they represent false theology. Now, I'm pausing here because not all the things I mentioned are bad theology. OK, for example, God is a God of justice. He wants us to live justly. He wants us to promote justice in the world. We should be advocates for justice. It's incredibly important to God. It's just not part of the gospel message. Does that make sense? A person does not need to agree that the church needs to be involved in social justice in order to be saved. That's what I'm getting at. Okay. it's important for the church to be involved in social justice. But that's not what makes somebody saved. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. And some of these, of course, do represent bad theology, too. So we have to be careful. But just because something's good theology doesn't mean it's part of the gospel. It's easy for us to believe they are, though, because they're important theological issues to us. The more important a theological doctrine is to me, the more likely it is I will find myself including it in the core essential gospel. Right? And we have to be very, very careful with that. Okay? I'll give you one example. The reformed doctrine of Sola Scriptura. Has, has everyone heard of that doctrine before? Has anyone Raise your hand if you've heard of that doctrine before. Sola Scriptura. Okay. A few hands. Let me explain it. Sola Scriptura uh, was the doctrine that the Bible and the Bible alone is our infallible guide to an infallible authority for Christian faith and practice. The reformers spoke of it in contrast to the teaching authority of the church, which said that there are two authorities, scripture and what's called the magisterium of the church. And the reformers said, actually, there can only be one authority and it's scripture. I think they were right about that. They were right about that. Sola Scriptura, I think, is correct theology. But do you think you need to believe in Sola Scriptura in order to be saved? No, you don't. You can look throughout the entire New Testament, whether they're talking to non-Christians or Christians. And at no point do they say, you need to believe in Jesus and the infallibility of Scripture and Sola Scriptura in order to be saved. Right? And lest we think that, well, Sola Scriptura is kind of baked into the gospel because At this point, we're 2000 years removed from the events. The only way we can really know about Jesus is by scripture. So we're automatically kind of buying into sola scriptura. Ah, not necessarily. When Paul spoke in Acts chapter 17 to to a crowd in Athens, he's talking to a bunch of philosophers. He shares the gospel and he talks about the resurrection of Christ and not one time does he even refer to scripture. And this is to an audience of people that would have had no concept of Hebrew Scripture. These were Greeks. These were Greek philosophers. These weren't people with a background in the Old Testament. Right? So he didn't even bother citing Scripture. And yet he was able to communicate the Gospel to them. And we learn at the end of Acts 17 that that there were many who believed. And the church grew. Right? So sola scriptura is right. It's accurate. It's just not part of the Gospel even though it's a core doctrine for so many Christians, okay? The other point to make here is that we are easily influenced by those around us. I want you to think about what happened to Paul here, I mean to Peter. Peter fell into hypocrisy because of the people that he was around. We can be drawn into false beliefs, a false gospel, when we value the opinions of those around us more than we value the gospel truth. And don't think for a second that any of us here are immune to that. The Apostle Peter, the head of the early church, fell victim to this. Even Barnabas, who's called the son of encouragement, who mentored Paul, fell victim to this. And Paul had to call them to account for it. We need to constantly check ourselves and ask if we're being led astray by the beliefs of people whose opinions we value, okay? So here's the third principle. The enemy of the true gospel is a gospel of works or performance. Rash. Galatians three one through six. Paul says this, so we're now in the third chapter of Galatians. He says, "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this: Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer in so, in so many things in vain if it deed and was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is kind of the main point I really want to get to. He was was confronting the Galatians about falling victim to this group of Judaizers. So their philosophy was, uh, their plan was to follow Paul around and... As Paul preached the gospel and people came to faith in Jesus, they would follow him up and say, hey, remember that guy Paul who was here last week? Yeah, yeah. He said some amazing things about Jesus, right? Yeah. You you really want to follow Jesus, right? Totally. Great. That's awesome. Well, you know Jesus was Jewish, right? Yeah. So the way to really follow Jesus is to be like him, right? Makes sense. So in order to really follow Jesus, you need to be Jewish. And so for the men, that meant being circumcised. And, and so what it ended up being was a gospel of faith and faith and circumcision. Now, I wouldn't actually have a problem if anybody wanted to follow Jesus and get circumcised, but not because it's required by the gospel, right? Not because uh, it's demanded of, of a Christian to do that. And Paul really uh, gets bent out of shape over this. Right as we saw, he had some angry, angry words. Um, Paul in this letter uh, basically tees off on the Galatians for believing a false gospel. Um, uh, Galatians 5:12, he says this. This is this is harsh. He says, he says of those preaching this gospel, this false gospel, where you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, because that's what it really means to follow Jesus. He says, I wish those who unsettle you speaking of the Judaizers, would emasculate themselves. So, like, if they're gonna talk about circumcision, I just wish they would just go all the way with it. It's like, wow. Like, okay, right? It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up, right? And so, so that's how strongly Paul feels about this, right? He, he has a real problem uh, with it. The, and he has a problem with it, with the Galatians getting drawn into it. You guys should know better. You should know better, I did not teach this when I came to you, we talked about grace, grace, grace. So why are we so easily swayed by a gospel that includes works? I think it's because it's just in our human DNA. If you think about it, every area of our lives is based on performance. Your job, what's gonna happen to you if you apply for a job and you've got a bad resume or you interview poorly, can you expect to get the job? Not compared to somebody who's got a good resume and who does well in the interview. If you have your job and you start slacking off and don't show up to work and don't get your projects done on time or at all, right, what's probably gonna happen to you? Probably not gonna have a job much longer, right? Uh, If you're an athlete, if you aren't a good enough player, do you think you're gonna make the team? Probably not. If you're on the team and you start goofing off and you don't put in the effort, think you're going to play? Probably not. Uh, Your academics, if you do poorly on exams, I would have no experience of this, so don't cast judgment. If you do poorly on exams, are you going to pass the class? Probably not. If you don't do the homework and you expect the professor or teacher to give you an A, are you going to get the A? Probably not. Even in relationships, and I think about this for all you single people out there, if you you got someone in your class or, or lives in your, Neighborhood that you want to date, and, uh, and you're a jerk to that person. What are the odds you're going to end up dating that person? Probably not very high, right? And so in every aspect of life, we live by performance. We live by works. And, and it, it slid right into Judaism. The Pharisees, if you, if you look at the Sabbath, the, the law about the Sabbath, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. But then if you look at what they did to define the Sabbath, it was an entire host of laws that went along with it that really weren't part of the Ten Commandments at all. Right? We naturally feed into a performance works mindset. It slides right into Christianity. Right? When the church adopts a posture of real Christians do this and real Christians don't do that, And the this and the that are behaviors that we're expected to follow. Because humans are like this, because this is the way we naturally are, we think that God must be like this. We so easily make God in our own image. This man-made religion that we're so prone to, everyone that's ever existed is based on performance. There's a God up here That we need to appease in order to make it to the good place when we die. And the way we appease this God up here is by living right, by doing religious things, etc. And we hope that when we get to the end, we do enough of those good things to outweigh the bad things that we do, and God will say, okay, the scales tip in your favor. That's how every religion works. The five pillars of Islam are a great example of this. Five pillars profession of faith. Daily prayer, giving alms, fasting, and a pilgrimage to Mecca. It's funny, fasting and feasting. I almost read that as feasting. That's <laughs> a little different than fasting, actually. Um, but those five things, if you do those things, maybe Allah will be, will, will be uh, pleased with you right, and let you in. But what makes the gospel radically different is that Christianity is not like that. The gospel is a gospel of grace. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Nobody can get in front of God at the end and say, Can you look at my resume? Isn't that impressive? It won't matter. And it's such a radical message. That not only is it hard for unbelievers to, to buy it, it's hard for Christians to buy it in our everyday life. We think that once we've started our Christian life that way, that somehow, by, by grace, that somehow living it out is by works, right? We revert right back to a works-based righteousness. These Galatians began their Christian faith um, buy into the idea of God's grace and faith. And, and Paul gets on them because they now sought to be perfected, is the word they used, uh, by the flesh. That is, yeah, this gospel of grace um, by, through faith is great in order to get me saved. But once that's done, I'm setting it aside to live this out through works of performance. God loved me enough to save me by grace, but his love only goes so far. Now I need to live the Christian life out by doing what I'm supposed to do. And Paul here says, look, your Christian life began by faith, by as as a work of God's grace. It was his grace in your life that you received by faith, and your Christian life keeps going that way. It keeps going that way. You need to live as a Christian, the same way you became a Christian in the first place. Right? We can only be saved by grace through faith, and we can only truly live the Christian life by grace through faith. By recognizing our inability, by surrendering our lives to Jesus, by giving it all to Him, by letting Him be, not just in theory, but in practice, our Lord. And I think Christians, we need to hear this because we way too easily slide right out of this and right back into a works mentality. And of course, there are do's and don'ts in the Bible. I'm not even going to remotely pretend otherwise. right? There definitely are plenty of those, even in the New Testament. But these are to be lived out in surrender to the Lord, in the power of His Spirit, not in our own strength. And we have to remember that our approval from God does not come through following through on those things. He loves us, and He's a God of grace and mercy. So... Just to wrap up, the gospel isn't just for non-Christians so that they can be saved, though it is that. It's for Christians so that we can live as God intends for us to live. And I would like to encourage you today to remember that always. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for us? All right. Lord, thanks so much for this morning. Thanks for our time as a community that we can worship together. Thanks for the reminder that the gospel is true. It's always been true. It's true not only for non-Christians. It's true for Christians too. We need it just as much as a non-believer does. Uh, And I pray that we would live our lives in this glorious truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.